0: Hey, this is kevin from papa john's on broad street welcome back to press row answer today's papa john's
1: poll question at facebook and twitter at espn 105.1 the zone and online at ESPNchattanooga.com.
0: welcome back into press row here on espn 105. one the zone david paschal jay greason wells guthrie producing the show we hope everybody out there is having a wonderful afternoon it's always a wonderful afternoon when press row can welcome back Ken Rogers of NFL Films. He is, uh, of course, known for Hard Knocks on HBO. He's also directed several 30 for 30s, Elway to Marino, The Four Falls of Buffalo, The Two Bills. And, of course, tonight, Dion's Double Play at 9 o'clock, directed by Ken Rogers. Ken, thank you so much for joining us. How are you today? I'm
1: doing great. Thanks for having me. Can't wait for the film tonight.
0: All right. First off, how long is it?
1: It's an hour film, hour presentation, which is, uh, I guess, 50 minutes of content. There's limited commercials, so only 10, 10 minutes of commercials, uh, as opposed to a normal 20 or so in a, in a program, so... Uh, it's a chock-full hour starting at uh, 9 o'clock Eastern.
0: Okay, and before we get into it, I'm, I'm you've done so many of these, and, and, and this is on the heels of Buster Douglas, which I think was 60 Minutes, and, and that was on the heels of Bob Knight, which was two hours. You've done the varying lengths. What, do you like the two-hour jobs, the 90-minute jobs, the 60-minute jobs? Which Which ones do you like doing the most, or do you have a preference?
1: I'll tell you what, we at NFL Films don't change the way we do anything uh based on the running time what we do is try to capture the story and we always edit long i mean anyone who's ever done anything creative knows that the first draft is twice as long as (laughs) as the final project uh and then you have to start making some decisions of what's in and out um and it just sort of naturally fits you know it feels like a 60 it feels like a 90 feels like a two-hour presentation um in in this case you could do 25 hours on Deion Sanders himself, no doubt. I mean, he is just an incredible personality. But this film is focused on one particular weekend in which he tried to play two sports at the same time in 1992. Uh, two professional sports, not just play, but really at the highest level. Um, and so it felt felt like just sticking to that moment in time it felt right at sixty minutes. It's a breezy, fast, fun fifty minutes because Dion is, of course, fun. It's plenty of controversy, uh, and we just didn't feel like belaboring the point and, and stretching it to ninety.
0: How much about his busy day slash busy weekend did you know about it going in, and what what intrigued you about this story? You know, I thought I
1: knew a lot, um, but what I uh, what I discovered was that this is uh, a really a tale of two different sports that uh, football, which Dion often calls his wife, and he was he was very uh, you know enamored with, in love with, and baseball, who was kind of like a girlfriend that he wanted that that he was attracted to, that he he needed to try to woo uh, as baseball is, you know you if you hit the ball three out of ten times, you're an all-star, you know it's not it's not a game of success. Uh, and this weekend became a controversy because those two sports and really the two sides of Dion, uh, turned out to be incompatible. Uh, Dion created this primetime persona to play football. But base, the baseball world, especially the Atlanta Braves in 1992, they didn't want primetime. They, they wanted a quiet uh, team player who garnered no attention. And that's sort of the baseball world. Um, And so there's a lot of tension in this film over his decision to try to spend, uh, you know, 24 hours playing both sports. I mean, it starts on a Saturday night when he was playing in the NLCS uh, for the Braves, um, and it ends on Sunday night in NLCS Game 5. But in between, he flies overnight Saturday night to play against Dan Marino and the Dolphins as a member of the Falcons and the Braves just really thought that was uh was wrong of him to to try to be loyal to another team when they were in the NLCS.
0: Ken, it's interesting because it's one of those where I I admit uh, I, I know about the day, but I don't know much about it either. I'm I'm going into this film thinking uh Deion Sanders is the lead actor and Tim McCarver may be supporting actor. Is there some truth to that? Uh
1: there is. Uh you know, What's what's amazing is that the tension um, and the dislike of this scenario that played out on this weekend is still very, very prevalent. So much so that uh, I will say that uh, I don't think it makes the film any less, uh, but you are incorrect that though Tim McCarver is a huge figure and central figure in the film, he actually does not make an interview appearance. He declined repeated um, requests. Wow. and. I actually think it makes the film a little bit stronger because when you hear that uh, in the film, which we admit, you know, he he didn't want to, you can sense all of a sudden, like, this was such a big deal, him being, you know, doused with water. It was such a big deal to Tim McClubber that 26 years later, he still doesn't want to talk about it, which is an amazing thing that, you know, time has passed, but the, the dislike of Dion has not.
0: Wow. You're listening to Ken Rogers of NFL Films, the director of several thirty for thirties, including tonight's Dion's double play that can be seen from nine to ten
2: on ESPN. You're listening to Ken here on Press Row. Ken, thank you again so much for taking the time. Uh, the commercials that ESPN's been running with the snippets, Dion says that it should be uh, the greatest memory he has in sports, but he doesn't look upon it fondly, which I think is a interesting on his face. Do you think uh, David mentioned Tim McCarver to you? Do you think Dion blames Tim McCarver for that, or John Sherholtz for that?
1: Uh, I think it's John Sherholtz. I really think that he feels like he was wronged, and here's how, um, as he'll explain in the film, um, and, and we explore in the film. He at that time in October, when he tried to play both sports in a, in a single day, was under contract with the Falcons to play football, right? his baseball contract ended on July 31st. And he was still playing with the Falcons uh, out of loyalty. He was certainly getting paid on a, you know, daily rate if he showed up, but he had no contract to show up. It was really just a, an agreement that, Hey, it would be great if you could still stick around and help because he wasn't He wasn't Michael Jordan trying to play minor league baseball. He wasn't Tim Tebow trying to work his way up. He was a really great baseball player, along with being the best cornerback in the history of the game and in football. You know, the year we're talking about in 1992, he led the entire major leagues in triples with 14, and that's only playing 97 games. Uh, He just was an incredible weapon. So the Braves wanted him around, um, and they really – I think it came down to semantics, honestly. Uh, there's a big discussion in the film over what full time means because they both agreed Dion would be a full time Falcon, a uh, full time Brave during the playoffs. Well, Dion thought full time, like any job, in between your work days, you can go do what you want, including go play football. <laughs> and uh, the Braves didn't really see it that way. They, they were upset that he left overnight. And the shocking thing that I think a lot of people forget about this attempt is that when he got back to Pittsburgh flying, uh, you know, all afternoon after playing Dan Marino to get back in time for game five uh, to help his team, he sat on the bench. Right. And there's a, there's a great exploration of that in in the show about, well, (laughs) here he is a weapon and he got sat. Is that, was that payback? Was that? a form of punishment by John Scherholtz through Bobby Cox to, you know, punish Dion for drawing attention to himself in a sport that um, certainly demands less self-seeking attention than football did.
2: I love the, the description of football being his wife and baseball being his girlfriend. If, if Dion had played, and, and I know this is completely subjective, if Dion had played baseball and only baseball, do you think he could have been a Hall of Famer? Do you think he would have been a perpetual All Star? What do you think it would have been?
1: I think he'd be. Um, I think he'd be certainly a perpetual All Star. I think he'd be borderline Hall of Fame. Um, you know, he had Ricky Henderson type ability. Um, wow. He never really had the uh, uh, the time to concentrate on it. But even when he, he split his time. He was really incredible. And let's remember, this is on a team that went to the world series. This isn't, you know, the lowest team on the wrong, uh, signing him so that they can get more fans in the, in the stadium. This, this was, this was a really good team that used him, uh, for really great results. I mean, he shared the outfield, you know, with Ron Gant and justice and Otis Nixon. I mean, he, he was, he was on a great team and he was really great. In fact, the World Series in 1992, uh, that is featured in this film after the double play weekend, um, they went to the World Series uh, against the Blue Jays, and Dion led all batters on both teams with a 533 batting average, uh, led the team in steals, uh, led the team in hits. He would have been most likely the MVP of the World Series had the Braves won in seven games instead of Toronto. And that kind of says it all. Like he he was that good that he would have been MVP of a world series. And on the other side, Oh, by the way, during football, he's a hall of famer, probably the best to ever play his position. That's why I don't think we'll ever see it again. We talk about Kyler Murray today and Tim Tebow, you know, continuing and all these players that really can play both sports. That's not really the question. Dion excelled at both sports. Um even Bo Jackson, when you compare the two, uh, Bo Jackson, obviously much you know more power in his game, uh, home runs and running over linebackers. But Deion Sanders is a Hall of Famer in one of those sports, and he was pretty darn good in the other. Uh, so there's a strong argu- argument to be made that when you talk about two-sport athletes, Deion Sanders is the best ever
0: you're listening to Ken Rogers of NFL films. Who's got, uh, the 30 for 30 tonight, Dion's double play. And, and Ken, that's a very interesting point you were just making, because I, I think a lot of people view Bo as the, as the two sports star. And, and once they see this tonight, I'm, I'm curious if you're going to sway some opinions.
1: Yeah. It, you could make a whole film on that. You could certainly fill your day talking about it on, on the air. I mean, uh, there's some strong arguments for both. Um, one thing, a couple things that set them apart uh, in Dion's favor is that uh, Dion played both sports at the same time, which is pretty incredible. Bo, Bo Jackson played baseball until the season was over, then took a week off, and then started playing football. Dion spent August and September and October for a few years playing both. Um, Dion is the only one to be in the Hall of Fame in a lot of sports. He's the only player to have played in a World Series and a Super Bowl. He's the only player to ever hit a home run and score uh, in the MLB and score an NFL touchdown in the same week. Uh, There's a lot of things going for that argument uh, for Dion. And then, of course, you just have the, the, as I said, the power and the sexiness of Bo Jackson's game in both sports. Um, And there's a great anecdote told by both of them, when they played against each other in the film tonight, um, when Deion, which a lot of people forget, was with the New York Yankees, Dion Sanders, a New York Yankee, and a lot of people don't remember that, they played against the Royals, and between he and Bo Jackson, they hit four home runs in the same game. Uh, but how that is divided up and, and what happened in that game for those four home runs is just a great story that's in the film tonight.
0: When you, and this kind of starts the conversation that we have, when, when you've spent weeks, months on these things, and, and this thing is two hours and you need to whittle it down to, you feel that one hour is the right time to uh, have one of these, when do you get around to watching it? I mean, you've got the whole, everybody, all the sports fans that have seen the trailers are ready to watch this thing. Obviously, you know what it's all about, but when, how long does it take before you get around to actually watching the finished product, or have you watched it a bunch of times by now?
1: I've watched it um, oh, thousands of times wow. in its various forms. Okay, uh, but you know that's just part of the creative process, and you never really see it. To me, you never really see it until you see it with other people. That's when you really um, get a viewpoint of it being out in the world. Otherwise, it's just in your head, and you're you know you're sharing it with some coworkers. But we had a premiere here in uh, Atlanta yesterday with uh, Dion and, and a bunch of his uh, flyer, teammates from both teams and hip-hop stars and the mayor of Atlanta, and to sit in an audience and, and see people's reactions, that's where you really feel like, oh, people, people are watching this. People are enjoying this. And so it almost felt like the first time I was watching it. Um, and I think tonight, just knowing that there'll be an audience watching and, uh, you know, responding probably on Twitter and, Following um, this story on ESPN, uh, it'll feel like another uh, first viewing um, because the more the more people see it, the more you kind of see it through their eyes.
0: All right, what's that next thirty for thirty in that big brain of yours?
1: Oh, it's gonna it's gonna be something next year. I'll tell you, we're we're trying to come up with that. I think there's a lot of possibilities. Uh, you know, we need to find a Chattanooga story. That's what we need to do.
2: The uh, Ken, if you could right now tell us the. You're, and I know you. it is not binding whatsoever, your top three for hard knocks right now, who would it be?
1: Uh, top three would be New England Patriots, Green Bay Packers, and Pittsburgh Steelers, all of which will not do it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, have you, I know you've done the same team, but have you ever done the same team in back-to-back years?
1: Uh, that would be pretty good this year, wouldn't it? It would.
0: Um, A lot of people would love to see Cleveland again
1: yeah look Cleveland Cleveland proved that it doesn't it doesn't matter what the team record is. Um, it's not a distraction that, that you know a team that is coming off a, a zero win franchise can be just as intriguing as the New England Patriots, let's say you know and everyone says oh you know you should maybe do the New England Patriots well, uh, in many ways, the Cleveland Browns are probably more fascinating because more is changing, more is going on, um, and so we're always more attracted to things in in transition because then there's some there's some skin in the game, like uh, people could be fired, uh, and that turned out to be the the case in Cleveland um, halfway through the season. Uh, I don't think uh, Bill Belichick's anywhere near you know proving that he's incapable and uh, going to get fired. So the stakes are so much higher on a team like Cleveland, uh, and I'm hoping we can find the same sort of stakes next year. Not that someone's close to being fired, but that that they're ready to, to make the leap uh, to the next level, whatever that level may be. It might be a playoff team looking to win the Super Bowl. It might be the worst team in the league trying to gain respect.
0: Ken, since you were there, and I'll slip this last one in while we got you, were you surprised midseason at some of the – after Hugh had left and uh, was on an opposing sideline the way Baker Mayfield – some of the comments he made and and the way he looked at him on the sidelines, did some of that stuff surprise you given what you went through back in August?
1: I don't think so because I think everyone that we have shown on that show, especially this year, they're they're competitive, you know – I just feel like whatever they are doing, they want to win at and they want to beat the other person. And as soon as someone that's close to them goes to the other side, they become the enemy. Um, And we've seen that throughout our history at NFL films, that friends become enemies and then they become friends again because the game's over, they're retired and they make peace and everything's fine. But there's so much riding on these games and so much pride for what these guys do that uh i wasn't all that surprised that 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 happened and you know i I think that's pretty natural i think anyone who would be in that position would kind of feel the same way and uh we shouldn't expect the athletes and and coaches of the league to be any different than we would be
0: well ken great stuff i've got three kids at home my goal is to get them all in bed by nine o'clock tonight because i am looking forward (laughs) to deon's double play thank you so much as always you always bring great stuff and i know our listeners love hearing you in chattanooga
1: well, I love being on. Thanks for having me.
0: All righty. Ken Rogers, the director of Dion's Double Play, tonight at 9 o'clock on ESPN 648 1051 is the number. Back with more. You're listening to Press Row here on ESPN 1051, The Zone.